0: Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. With your blood, you bought my freedom. All my shame was met with mercy. That's the good news. And not that we're nice, put together, cleaned up religious people who come into a place and just come by our own strength or our own morality, but because Jesus met our shame with his mercy. So thank you guys for being here. If we haven't met, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you guys, whether you're in person or joining us online. Uh, This is the time of the service where our kids can be dismissed to go out. uh, The back, so kids anywhere from three years old up through fifth grade um, can head out for some special fun times during the service. You guys can head out if you want to. my my guys, if you guys wanna head outside. Uh, And you guys head out. (laughs) Mommy's in the back, yeah, go ahead, all right. (laughs) Uh, So you guys can head outside if you want to. Just parents, we ask, just make sure that your kids are checked in for safety purposes um, as they're heading outside during the sermon time. Um, We actually did this last Sunday, and I'm really excited that we get to do it two Sundays in a row. We get to have uh, membership vows today. And so it's it's an opportunity to officially welcome new folks into our CCC family. So I'm going to invite Fran Oliveira to come up here. Um, and then actually, I actually want to invite, if you are part, Fran has joined um, the Hall's small group as well. So if you're part of that group, want to invite you to come up as well, um, because we're going to be praying uh, for Fran today. So yeah, absolutely. Come on up, Fran. Um, Fran's been coming here to CCC for about, um, eight months now. I think, I think we said something like that, um, has been getting plugged in to our church, getting plugged in to the Hall's small group, um, walking through the membership process, uh, and is, is here to officially join as a covenant member of Christ Community Church. And so I said this last week, but, but church membership, there's not like some magical thing about it. It's not like, go in varsity for Christianity or something. You get a letter jacket now or something. Um, But what it is, it's a way that we publicly commit to one another. We publicly commit um, to this faith family. And then we, as a faith family, publicly commit to Fran, to to loving her, to serving her, to walking with her, to holding her accountable, that we're going to point each other uh, to Jesus. And so, I don't know, Fran, I've already kind of introduced you. Do you want to tell us anything else about yourself? You don't have to, but like I don't know, favorite movie, favorite flavor of Jello, anything like that. Okay, <laughs> we're happy you're here too. All right, well, I'm going to ask you a series of six questions, and um, uh, just just if you agree, say I do, or not, or give a thumbs up, or, or whatever. But um, first, friend, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope except for His sovereign mercy? If so, I do. Second, do you acknowledge yourself to be a child of God, fully known and fully loved by our Father in heaven? I do. Third, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? I do. Fourth, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? I do. Fifth, do you promise to support the church and its worship and its work to the best of your ability? I do. And then finally, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to pursue its purity and peace? And then church, this is our opportunity then to respond and to to welcome Fran. So if you guys wanna gather around her um, and then if if you guys don't mind, again, we did this last week, um, but symbolically reaching out and laying hands on Fran as we welcome her into the faith family. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your grace. It is your grace that has bought us. You, with your death, you bought our freedom. All of our shame was met with mercy, And so thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for bringing us into your family through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And God, we thank you that you don't just make us sons and daughters of God, but you make us brothers and sisters of one another. And so we thank you for our sister, Fran. We thank you for your grace in bringing her to yourself and in bringing her into this faith family. Father, I thank you that that she is connected and she has made so many friendships and relationships here. And I pray that you would help us. I pray for those standing here as part of her small group. I pray for all of us as her church family. Help us to love her well. Help us to serve her well. Help us to point her to Jesus. We pray that you would continue your work of amazing grace in her life, of, of making her more like Christ, drawing her to yourself, and then drawing others to yourself through her. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for bringing her into our family. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Let's welcome her officially. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming up, too. Hey, uh, we started a new series last week. It was simply entitled The Voice of the Soul, How the Psalms Speak for Us. And so what we're going to be doing over the next seven weeks is we're going to be looking at some key prayers, some songs from the book of Psalms to see what we can learn about our emotions and how our emotions teach us to relate to God. Now here's the thing, depending on on how you're wired, depending on what your background is, you probably approach feelings or you approach emotions in a number of different ways. Some of us have been taught to deny our emotions, to ignore our emotions. You actually see this a lot in the church. Emotions are bad or or at best they're they're unreliable. And so what we need to do is we need to push them down. We need to suppress them. We need to pretend that they're not there. We need to keep them in check. Uh, On the other hand, some of us are ruled by our emotions. And that's especially a thing in our world today. We're told that our emotions are ultimate. Our emotions, our feelings are the truth. They define our reality. You are what you feel. And so the key to a happy, healthy life is to be in touch with your emotions and to follow your heart and to go wherever it leads you. But neither of those actually matches up with how we're wired as human beings, On the one hand, we see from the scriptures that our emotions are real. They're they're part of who we are. They're, They're part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And so we can't fully engage with God and we can't fully engage with other people by denying them. And yet, on the other hand, our emotions, our feelings are not ultimate. They are not all that is true about us. And every one of us, if we're honest, if we look over our lives, we can think of ways that we have been hurt or that we have hurt other people because we just did whatever our emotions told us to do in the moment. But the Bible shows us a better way. The Bible shows us that we shouldn't deny our emotions and that we shouldn't be ruled by our emotions. But the Bible actually, in the book of Psalms in particular, teaches us to pray our emotions, to listen to our emotions, to pay attention to what they're telling us, but then to let that drive us to God and to his word. And we're going to be in a psalm today that shows us how to do that. So we're going to be in Psalm 130 today. So it's a short psalm, but it is packed with wisdom. Psalm 130, here's what the psalmist says He says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he himself will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Out of the depths I cry to you. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt yourself in the depths? Have you ever felt like you're drowning and you can't get your head above water? Like like you're in a pit and you can't climb out of it? The picture here in in Psalm 130 is this picture of quicksand. It's this picture of this muddy, miry pit. You actually see it throughout the Psalms. You see it in Psalm 40. You see it in Psalm 69. And the psalmist says here, I'm in a pit and and I can't get out of it. Have you ever been in that kind of a metaphorical pit? Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you're in a pit like that today. Maybe it's the pit of depression, the pit of anxiety, the pit of addiction, the pit of anger that you just can't seem to control. And you feel like you're in quicksand, like you're trying to pull yourself out. But the more you struggle, the deeper you sink. And the thing is, if you're not there now, you'll be there at some point in your life. You run up against something that you can't just manage, something that you can't just pull yourself out of. And so the question is, how do we deal with that? And that's what the psalm unpacks for us. And so we're gonna answer two very basic questions as we look at Psalm 130 today. And and I would submit to you that these are two questions that we should ask ourselves anytime we're walking through difficult times, anytime we feel ourselves to be in the depths here. It's two very simple questions. We're gonna ask ourselves, why are we in the depths? And how do we get out of the depths? Why are we in the depths and how do we get out of the depths? So first, why are we in the depths? Verse one, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my, the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now that's really interesting, that last word there, because if you're drowning, if, if you're trapped in a pit that you can't get out of, if you're sinking in quicksand and you're scrambling to get out, what would you naturally cry out for? You'd cry out for help. He'd cry out, somebody pull me out of here. Somebody get me out of here. But it's interesting, you probably wouldn't cry out for mercy. And yet that's what the psalmist cries out here for. He cries out for mercy. He cries out for forgiveness. He's actually not crying out for deliverance from other people. He's crying out for deliverance from his own sin. See, he realizes why he's in the depths. He realizes I am in the depths because of my sin. Verse three, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, sin, O Lord, who could stand? He says, no one can stand before the justice of God. We've all fallen down into the pit of our sin, and we can't get ourselves out of it. Now, this is is what I love about the Psalms. The Psalms never oversimplify life. The Psalms recognize the nuance and the texture and the multifaceted reality of life. Last week, if, if you were here, uh, you heard me talk about my car, my, my 2005 Pontiac Vibe, this high-performance machine that you might see me driving around town, and, and I talked about how I had replaced the battery on it. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. Like, I'd replaced that thing. I felt like I stepped out of a Marlboro ad. Like, I, like my manhood was just validated, <laughs> right? It's a big thing for me. And then I went out Friday morning, this past Friday morning, and I turned the key, and it's dead, <laughs> Stone cold, dead. And so so I did the same thing that worked last time. I'd been having some problems with corrosion on the battery terminals. And so I, I get out my, my baking soda. I get out one of my kids' old toothbrushes. I, I, I clean off the battery terminal, reconnect it, make sure it's connected, go to turn the key, nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, the same thing that worked last time didn't work this time. It's a different issue. There's something else going on. And so my point here is not simply to give you an update on the saga of the vibe, but my point is that life is complicated, right? Life is complicated. Our souls are complicated, much more complicated than a car. And when we're we're in the depths, or like we talked about last week, when we're feeling cast down, there could be a number of different things behind it. And the beauty of the Psalms is that the Psalms recognize that. The Psalms don't oversimplify life. The Psalms don't pigeonhole our experiences. The Psalms treat us as sinners and sufferers. And so last week, we saw how God helps us deal with our suffering, how He helps us deal with the hurt that other people have caused us. But this week, primarily, this Psalm deals with us as sinners. How do do we deal with the hurt that we have caused ourselves? How have we personally contributed to our own problems? How have we personally gotten ourselves into that pit? Now, many of us don't like that question, right? Most of us, our natural tendency is to assume that the problem is out there. The problem is someone else. The problem is something that's been done to to, to us. And and listen, sometimes that's true. And I don't want to minimize that for a second, nor do the scriptures, because because some of you have been hurt and mistreated and abused in very real and very awful ways. And the Psalms teach us how to bring that hurt to the Lord and to speak to him honestly and to receive his, his healing. So sometimes the problem is something that's been done to us, but not all the time we got to be honest about that. Sometimes the problem is not out there. Sometimes the problem is in here. And honestly, most of the time, it's probably a combination of the two. The truth is that we all have a problem in here. Even if we've been hurt by people out there, there is also something sick inside of us that we need God's healing for. And and when we find ourselves in the depths, when we find ourselves in in this metaphorical pit of, of quicksand that we can't seem to climb out of, if we want to experience help and healing, then we've got to learn to be honest with ourselves. We've got to learn to take an honest look at ourselves and ask, am I part of the problem? And that's what the psalmist does here. He says, I'm in the depths. I feel like I am sinking in quicksand and it's my own fault something we, we don't really like to admit. We, we can find all sorts of other people to blame. Our parents, our spouse, our employers, the Democrats, the Republicans, whoever it might be for you. We will always be able to find someone else to blame. And as I said, sometimes that's legitimate. But if we wanna move toward healing, if, if we want to experience God's presence and God's healing in the midst of that, then we can't just look at the problems out there. We need to look at the problems in here. We need to experience, if we want to experience God's healing, we need to be honest about our sickness. That's what the psalmist does. He says, I am crying out from the depths and the voice that I hear, the voice that is ringing loudest in the ears of my heart is the voice of guilt. It's this deep awareness that I have sinned that I have turned my back on God. Now, we don't like to talk about guilt in our society anymore. Like even in churches, churches don't like to talk about guilt. For the past hundred years or so, really since the time of Freud, we've all tried to get, our society has been trying to get rid of this concept of guilt. They tell us it's unhealthy. It's it's oppressive. We need to to get rid of those old, outdated moral standards. And when we do that, we're going to set ourselves free from the neurosis of guilt and shame. I just got to ask, how's that working out? How, how is that working out for us? Our culture has been going full bore after that for the past few generations. We've been told, we define what's right and wrong. Be true to who you are. Live your truth. You do you, boo-boo. Do, do your thing. You're supposed, and that was supposed to liberate us, wasn't it? That, that was supposed to make us more, more tolerant, more kind, well-adjusted people. Like, Really? Pull up your Facebook feed. Tell me that we're more tolerant or more kind or more well-adjusted today. Look, Look at all the statistics about mental health today. Every study will tell you that anxiety and depression are climbing higher and higher every year and increasing with every passing generation. And we thought that getting rid of these concepts of guilt and shame would make us happy and healthy, but it ended up making us more unhappy and more unhealthy than before. Because when we deny our guilt, we are denying something that we know to be true about us in the core of who we are. We can't escape this awareness that we're deeply broken, that that something just isn't right. But the problem is we can't name it anymore. We can't talk about it. We can't be honest about it. We know there's something wrong with us, but we don't know what it is. And so what we do is we run all over the place looking for all sorts of things to fix it. If I can just lose that weight, I'll be all right. Right? If I can buy that car, if I can be with that person, if I can overcome that struggle, then I'll be all right. The problem is that all those attempts are simply like trying to climb out of the quicksand. You lose that weight, and you're just as insecure as you were before. You buy that car, and it gets old, and it gets beat up, and it won't start on Friday morning. You You get that relationship. And you find that all the romance in the world can't change the fact that you are still deeply broken. And that person you thought would save you is still deeply broken. So what do we do? We run around and we look for the next thing and we kick our legs and we scratch and claw with our fingers, trying to pull ourselves out of the pit. And we just keep sinking. So how do we get out? (laughs) How do we get out? Of the depths, when you're in the quicksand, when you can't climb out on your own, when you can't get a foothold, when you can't stand. Look at verse three. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's actually the first thing we need to recognize. That's the first step to this. We gotta be honest with God and we gotta be honest with ourselves. God, I can't stand because of my sin. We need to recognize there's a standard that we have violated. Now, I know today that sounds narrow and that sounds backwards and that sounds oppressive, but it's the only way to be honest. It's the only way to deal with our guilt, to deal with our shame. It's the only way to really embrace healing. Without an objective standard of right and wrong, all we're left with is this vague, foreboding sense of doom. Like we know we're broken. We don't know why we're broken. We don't know how we're broken. We don't even know what wholeness looks like. By the way, this is is how you can tell just practically whether your guilt is true guilt or false guilt. Does it line up with God's standards? See, there's false guilt out there. Some of us feel guilty about things we should not feel guilty about. Feel guilty because we're not living up to someone else's expectations. Feel guilty because we're not living up to to society's expectations. And so there, there can be false guilt there. On the other hand, there's true guilt. On the other hand, some of us don't feel guilty about things we should feel guilty about. There is legitimate guilt. I mean, we all know this. We all know that part of the problem in the world is people who don't pay attention to the voice of true guilt, I mean, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao, I would submit to you that they should have felt guilty about some of the things they did, that they should have listened to the voice of guilt and stopped doing those things. Like, do you know what we call someone who doesn't feel guilt? A sociopath. And and you don't have to be a dictator or a serial killer to have true guilt. We all know that there are people, even in our own lives, who ought to feel guilty about the way that they've treated us or the way that they've treated other people. We all expect other people to listen to the voice of guilt from time to time. thing is, we just don't like to listen to the voice of our own guilt. But let's be honest with ourselves. Do we really think, do I really think that I'm the only person on planet Earth that this doesn't apply to? We all know there is real guilt. The problem is that we have lost our ability to tell what is true and false guilt. And so our culture tells us, just base it on how you feel. If you don't don't feel guilty about it, go ahead and do it. If you do feel guilty about it, don't do it. But the truth is, that's a paralyzing way to live. Because you never know when the guilt is legitimate. Without an objective moral standard, what happens is we just start living for the approval of other people. And we spend our lives trying to live up to their standards of righteousness. And then eventually that gets exhausting. And so we give up on that and we say, well, I'm just going to define it for myself. And all the time we are running around frenetically trying to drown out the voice of guilt inside of us. And we still can't escape that reality. Scriptures tell us that, that we are not the standard. Our, our parents are not the standard. Our, our Facebook friends are not the standard. Our society is not the standard. Our feelings are not the standard. God is the standard. The eyes of God, how God looks at it, is the only thing that truly matters. Amen. Or as Tupac so eloquently put it, only God can judge me. <laughs> now, now, that is that's a classic. That's a deep throwback right there. <laughs> now, now that, is, that is both liberating and terrifying at the same time. It's liberating. Because it means that if there's a standard, then at least we know what the problem is and we can try to do something about it. If there's no standard, there's no way for us to make it right. And so we're just stuck in the quicksand. So, on the one hand, the, the, the fact that God's standard is the only standard that matters is deeply liberating. But on the other hand, it's terrifying because it means that the standard is not just an arbitrary standard, it can't be explained away can't be avoided, it can't be negotiated, it can't be redefined. It's the standard of the eternal king and creator of the universe, and that's terrifying. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have all, every single one of us, violated that standard. We have all failed to live the truly human life that God created us to live. So we turn to religion, we turn to morality, we turn to activism, We we turn to politics. We turn to anything we can grasp onto to try to make ourselves feel more righteous. And we try to climb out and we scrape and we scratch and we claw and we just sink deeper in the quicksand. So man, like, what do we do? What do we do if that's the reality? There's only one thing left and it's what the psalmist does here. We cry out for mercy. God, I, I can't help myself. God, help me. And here's the good news. The eyes of God are the only eyes that matter, but he is not a God who marks iniquities. Verse three, look at this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? None of us could stand. But, but here's the good news. With you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He doesn't mark our iniquities. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. He doesn't keep looking at our sins. The eyes of God are the only eyes that matter, but he is a God who has chosen to look away from our sins. God's grace has overcome our guilt. God's glory has overcome our shame. Now that is good news. That is life-changing good news. That is gloriously good news. But how can God do that? I mean, how could God look away from our sin? He's God, right? He can't just pretend it's not there. So how can the righteous God forgive the guilt of our sin? Well, let's, let's keep going through the Psalm. Verse five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he himself will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in your own goodness. Don't hope in your own religiosity. Don't hope in your own morality. Don't hope in your own attempts to atone for your own sin. Hope in the Lord, for he himself will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He himself will do it. And for hundreds of years, the people of God prayed this prayer. And they sang this song, and they waited for the Lord. They waited like watchmen waiting for the morning. They waited for God himself to come and redeem them. In the midst of their darkness, they were waiting for the light to dawn. See, see, God knew that we were sinking in the quicksand of our sin and our guilt and our shame. He knew that we couldn't pull ourselves out. When you're in the quicksand, it doesn't do any good for someone to stand on the edge of the pit and tell you to climb out. And I'm afraid that much of what passes for Christianity in America is just that. Some guy standing at the edge of the pit telling people to climb out of the quicksand. But when you're in the depths, you don't need someone to tell you to pull yourself out. You need someone to reach down and to pull you out. That's what God sent his son to do. God himself came to pull us out. He didn't give us a set of rules to try to redeem ourselves. He himself came to redeem us. That's why God can look away from our sins. Because he took our sins on himself. That's what the word redeem means. It means to buy back, to pay the price, to pay the ransom. God himself came to ransom us, to be the ransom for our iniquities. Jesus took your place in the depths. Jesus took my place in the depths. He he went down into the pit of our sin and our guilt and our shame. And, And he could have pulled himself out. He's the one person who could have done that, but he chose not to. He sank all the way down, all the way down into our guilt, all the way down into our death, all the way down into our hell, all the way down into our grave. He took our guilt to the grave and he buried it there. And it's dead and it's gone and it is never coming back up. And the good news is that he didn't stay in the depths. Three days later, he got up and he rose up out of the depths and he raises us up with him. And so if you feel yourself in the depths today, I wanna encourage you exactly what the Psalm encourages you. Hope in the Lord, not in yourself, hope in the Lord. Stop trying to pull yourself out of the quicksand. Stop trying to redeem yourself. Hope in the Lord. You say, but but man, look at my story. Like I have messed up so many times. I've tried before and I keep messing it up and I just can't get it right. And I say to you, for with the Lord, there is steadfast love. Not just love, not momentary love, not temporary love, not love that is based on our performance or our morality, steadfast love, stubborn love loyal giving of love, love that never gives up and never backs down and never walks away. Hope in the Lord. You say, yeah, but I've done some really bad things, like bad things. And I say, with him is plentiful redemption. Plentiful redemption, not stingy redemption, not cheap bargain bin, cut rate redemption. Plentiful redemption. Redemption. Ray Ortland, who's, who's a pastor in Nashville, always says it this way. He says, God is rich in mercy, and he's a big spender. And I love that. God is rich in mercy, and he's a big spender. You will never out the grace of God. He will not let it be said that our guilt is greater than his grace. He will not let it be said that our sin is greater than his mercy. With him is plentiful redemption, and he's a big spender. He spent it all to redeem us. He spent the blood of his son for the forgiveness of our sins to bring us to himself. And when you get that, when that lands in your heart, that changes everything. Few, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand. But with you there is forgiveness. And this is fascinating, this last phrase, that you may be feared. That sounds really weird, right? Forgiveness produces fear. Now, now, the word fear here isn't exactly the same as our English word for fear. It's more the idea of reverence, of, of awe, of worship, of honor, of amazement, of obedience, even of love. When, when we really experience God's forgiveness, it changes us at the core of our being. We don't use grace as an excuse to keep living in sin. As a matter of fact, God's grace, God's forgiveness is precisely what frees us from our sin and enables us to turn to him and to follow him. When we recognize our helplessness, that we were in the depths, sinking in the quicksand of our guilt, rebels who have spit in God's face and violated his law. And that still God has chosen to forgive our sins. God has redeemed us. Jesus took our place in the depths of our guilt and our shame and our sin. And he rose again to give us life. When that lands on us, that moves our hearts to worship and honor and love and obey him like nothing else can. That kind of grace changes everything. So I just wanna invite us to respond to that grace now. Like maybe for the first time in your life, maybe for the first time, you need to hope in the Lord. You need to, to give up the religious games. You need to, to stop trying to redeem yourself and simply trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to forgive your sins. Listen, the cross of Jesus is the only way that you will ever be able to be honest with yourself without being crushed. The cross enables you to honestly admit your sin and your guilt and your shame. But it also reminds you that Jesus took that guilt and that sin and that shame and he died for it and he buried it in the ground and he rose again so that you could be forgiven. Maybe you just need to trust him for the first time today. Maybe you need to trust him for the 10,000th time today. Maybe you need to just soak in the reality of his forgiveness and let his forgiveness lead you to obedience. Accept the free forgiveness of sins and then turn from your sin and follow him. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but what you need to do is you just need to simply wait for the Lord. Like maybe you're in the depths And sometimes we actually stay in the depths for a while. Sometimes you can stay in the depths for days, months, even years. And the last thing I want you to feel is some sort of pressure to pretend that everything's okay now just because you listen to some guy talk for a half hour. And so maybe you're in a place of waiting. And so I would say to you, verses five and six, wait for the Lord. Let your soul wait for the Lord like a watchman in the night. Wait for the Lord. But as you wait also know that the morning is coming. And and maybe maybe you just need to join us as we worship him now. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that you may be loved, that you may be worshiped, that you may be honored. And so let's worship him. Let's worship him for his forgiveness. Let's worship him for his steadfast love. Let's worship him for his plentiful redemption. Let's pray and then let's respond. If you, O oh Lord, should keep a record of sins, if you should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? God, I could not stand. I could not stand if you marked my iniquities from the past decade or the past year or the past week or the past day. I could not stand. And none of us could. None of us could. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. We can't atone for our own sins. But with you, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. With you is steadfast love. Thank you that your love never gives up on us. With you, there is plentiful redemption. And thank you that you're a big spender. Thank you That You lavish Your love and Your grace and Your forgiveness on sinners like us. God, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with You. Help us to be honest about our sickness so that we can experience Your healing. Help us to be honest about our sins so that we can experience Your mercy. Help us to be honest about our shame so that we can experience Your glory. Help us to respond to you probably a million different ways in this room that we could respond to your word. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the word and that you would apply it to our hearts now and teach us to respond to you as you are calling us to do that. I pray it in Christ's name. So as we say pretty much every week, my prayer for you is that you know that living hope. And that not only that he is a hope for you, but that he is your living hope. He is your only hope. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so my hope for you is that that you know that hope and that you have experienced that hope. And so if you got questions about that, um, if you wanna talk about that, I would love to speak with you. Um, Maybe for the first time in your life, or like I've said, maybe for the 10,000th time in your life, and you're like, I just need to be able to hope in the Lord. I'm, I'm waiting for the morning, like a watchman waiting for the morning. How do I, how do I hope in the Lord during what I'm walking through? Or, or maybe you just need to find some honesty. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to, to be honest about your sin. You need to be honest about something in your life. And the reality is that, that you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid to be honest because with the Lord is steadfast love with him is plentiful redemption. And so there's freedom to be able to come and to be honest and to share that. And so um, whatever it is, um, we'd love for you to do that as as the Lord leads you to respond. If you want us to to walk with you, if you want to meet with me or meet with someone this week, there's a a communication card in the back. We'd love to set up a time to talk about that or any questions you have about following Jesus or or Christ Community Church. And so opportunities to do that there. A key verse this week is actually verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And let me just encourage you, be honest with him about that this week. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to justify yourself. Be honest with him about that this week. But also, don't stay there. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so hear that good news and have that good news in your mind this week as you go throughout this week. Let's stand and let's receive our benediction. This benediction is actually really a prayer um, from the book of Micah. And I wanna invite you just to chew on this this week and to hear this good news of the God who forgives our sins. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Peace be with you guys. Have a great week.